0: Well, again, good morning. Great to see you. My name is George Davis. Thanks for being a part of Hershey Free on this family Sunday, on this holiday weekend, as we're now launching into the fall. Thank you, sir. If you've got a Bible, I'm going to ask you to join with me in turning to John chapter 13. We'll get there in a moment. John chapter 13. And as you do that, um, let me tell you about something interesting that happened in, in Britain last year. Last year the British government announced a new public health initiative where they were seeking to address what they described as a major health care, public health issue in their country. In fact, in launching this initiative, they published an 84-page report that explained why this was important and what they were going to do. They also even changed the job description of one of the ministers in the british cabinet so that she would have the specific responsibility of overseeing this initiative so so what do you think was the public health crisis they were seeking to address maybe you'd say well you know maybe they're like our country and they've had issues with opioids that's been in the, the news more recently because of certain legal cases <laughs> maybe you're a student and you say you know what you go in the bathroom at my school and there's always somebody vaping so maybe that's what they were going to address. Maybe you would say perhaps they were dealing with issues of diet and exercise, and a lot of countries we're too sedentary, we don't eat well, so that was the crisis they wanted to address. Or maybe you'd think about other things that we can abuse in terms of either drugs or alcohol abuse or even things we can, ways we can be abusive in relationships, and all of those are, can obviously be significant public health issues. But it's going to surprise you what they set out to address last year, what they declared as a public health risk last year. This initiative was all about addressing the problem of loneliness. Loneliness. Last year, the British government declared it to be a public health crisis. In fact, included in their report is evidence that there are public health risk when people are disconnected. Now, in thinking about that initiative, I think it, it reminds us of a tension that we can experience. Obviously, we don't live in the United Kingdom, but there's, there's a tension that they're getting at that you and I can experience as well. On the one hand, the, the reality is it, it's possible for us to experience isolation and loneliness in our everyday experience for a variety of reasons, it's possible even now for us to feel like, you know, maybe, maybe I know lots of people, but it doesn't really feel like anyone knows me. I'm highly connected on social media, or, I'm, you know, I'm in church, or I'm, I'm, I've got lots of friends at school or in the workplace, but it, you ever feel like nobody really knows me? That even in the midst of all these conversations, there's a sense of isolation. Maybe you're a student and you've gone through certain things and you just feel like, you know, my, my parents don't get me. No one really knows what I'm kind of wrestling with or dealing with, and there's this feeling of isolation. So on the one hand, our life experience can involve isolation. But on the other hand, I think deep within in us, even if you don't fully acknowledge it, deep within each of us is a desire for connection. Deep within each of us is a desire to be known. I think that's how God has created us. My guess is at some point you have known that desire. Our youngest son just started college on Monday um, before our oldest son went back to his work on the West Coast. The three of us were in a phone conversation together. And as my my youngest son is launching launching college, his older brother starts a conversation with him about how to succeed in the opening days of college. It was just that I just listened in. And as the conversation unfolded, you know what they were talking? They were talking about how do you get connected? How do you build relationships? Are you meeting new people going to the cafeteria? Are you leaving your dorm door open? I mean, there was this whole litany of ideas. But all of it was, was driven by the idea of we need to be connected. And that shouldn't surprise us because I think deep within each of us is this desire for relationship. At times it's hard, it's awkward, at times we hide. but still underneath it all, there's a desire to be connected, a desire to be known. So here's the tension. My life can have elements of isolation, yet there's something within me that desires to be known. Have you experienced that? Do you know that? We can, we can, you know, whether you're a student, whether you're young, whether you're old, do you know that tension? As you think about that, now listen to these words of Jesus. In a very dramatic moment in the storyline of Jesus, he has this conversation with his disciples about his mission and the direction of what he's doing. And in the course of that conversation, he says these famous words, right? Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now think about that line for a moment because understand this is a moment where Jesus is helping his disciples to understand the direction of his mission, the direction of his ministry, what he is all about. And of course, as we understand through the pages of scripture and the reality of what Christ has done, he has come to reconnect us with God. He has come to deal with our deepest need of of addressing the problem of sin and our brokenness. Yet what he is telling those disciples was this, in the course of bringing us back to God, he also seeks to bring us together as a community. Now we have to understand these words carefully because when you and I think church, we often think building. Building. It's hard for us to understand, really, for the first 300 years, the Christian movement didn't have buildings. We, we hear church, we think building. We talk about place, location. We talk about going to church. All that's fine. But understand, when Jesus was talking about church, he wasn't talking about a place. He was talking about a people. He was talking about a community. And what Jesus was saying was, I have come to bring you back to God in such a way that I'm also bringing you together as a community. So that his vision for us as a church community is that we would follow Jesus together. That this would be a place where we would be for one another. A place where people would be encouraging and stretching and challenging and investing in each other's lives. You heard a little bit about that even hearing hearing from these people in these different connect groups of what that experience looks like. I like to just summarize it this way Jesus' vision for church is that we would be for one another. This is part of the reason that we give you opportunities to get connected in live, love, lead groups and connect groups. Because we're we're trying to take Jesus' vision for church seriously, and the truth is, you can't fully live into that vision if you're in rows. It takes circles, it takes building into one another's lives. So this is Jesus' vision for you and me. This is his vision for Hershey Free Church, that this would be a place that we would be for one another. But let's be honest, okay? If you, depending on how, mu- how much time you spend in church communities or how often you've been at church, at some point you've probably seen church fail to live up to this vision. The truth is some of you have been in church situations where you've been burned. There have been perhaps more than one occasion where it feels like church has never, the community of people has never lived up to Jesus' vision, and we need to acknowledge that. Yet, even with those disappointments, let's not let those experiences cause us to just let go of Jesus' vision. This morning, as you've heard, we're starting this new series entitled For One Another. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the New Testament vision for relationships that Jesus intends for his followers. We're going to see that Jesus' vision is really developed in a number of different statements where the New Testament talks about being for one another, being at peace with one another, forgiving one another, encouraging one another, submitting to one another, accepting one another. All of Jesus's, really, all of Jesus' statements about community flow into these very specific guidelines in the pages of Scripture. So we're gonna take time to look at those and that will lead us up to our Beyond the Wall Sunday. Then after that, we've got a series entitled The Struggle is Real. We're gonna talk about some hard stuff that we can face in relationships and in our own lives. Things like abuse, anxiety, depression, lust. Things perhaps you've never heard addressed in church. But I think if we're going to embrace Jesus's vision of being for one another, we gotta talk about this stuff too. So this morning, we're we're just gonna start seeking to unpack Jesus's vision concerning what it looks like to be for one another. And as we do that, over the next few weeks, I hope you can be with us in the course of this series, but I just want to encourage you to ask yourself two questions in the course of this series. And first of all is, God, what do you want me to learn? God, what do you want me to learn? And and secondly, where where do you want me to invest? It's not like, you know, we can fully be invested in the lives of all the people at church, but where are the relationships that, that already you are giving me an opportunity to truly be for others. Now, as we start thinking about Jesus' vision for us and Jesus' vision of being for one another, a great place to start is in John chapter 13. This is a scene um, where Jesus has gathered with his his early disciples, a small group of individuals who are going to become leaders in the early Christian movement. They've gathered to celebrate the Jewish uh, celebration of Passover, and this is right before. Jesus is going to be arrested and and ultimately executed. In this part of John's gospel, we're looking at the final moments where Jesus is investing in his disciples before um, all that's going to happen in his life. Now, what's fascinating here, as John recounts this scene in John 13, John does not focus on the meal. Other gospel writers focus on the meal. John focuses on something else that that happens during the meal, and we begin to see that in verse 3 of, of chapter 13. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. So in the middle of this meal, Jesus does what is absolutely unexpected, and, and once again, you know, we've talked about this passage before, and it's, it's always hard to fully understand how disruptive and surprising and awkward this moment is because it's, it's one of those things socially you just don't do. A teacher does not wash the feet of his disciples, and yet Jesus does that which is totally out of bounds in terms of social norms. He does that, which is totally unexpected. He gets up, he takes off his outer garment, he lays it down, and then he picks up a towel and wraps it around his waist. And he takes this base and he fills it with water and he begins working through the room to wash the disciples' feet. It's a disruptive moment. It is an awkward moment. And as John... um, As John recounts the scene, I think it's clear for us that this is more than just a moment for Jesus to express his commitment, his care for his disciples. This is intended to be a teaching moment. So notice verses 12 and following. When he finished finished washing his, his disciples' feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for this is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have, now notice this, I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. So this is this this place where in a very intentional way Jesus is giving his disciples this vision for, for what their relationship should look like. This is what a church community should look like a place where we're intentionally investing in serving and being for one another. In fact, Jesus goes on to say this, right, later in this passage, just so they don't miss the teaching moment, right? (laughs) Here he puts it clearly. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, once again, I think the disciples have been surprised by the awkwardness of this moment, right? The teacher got up and did something teachers don't do. Now he tells us he's giving us a new commandment. Once again, remember the context. All the individuals in this room are Jewish. All the individuals in this room are deeply familiar with the law, the Torah of the Old Testament. All of them are familiar that woven in the pages of Hebrew scripture is the expectation to love your neighbor. They had heard that command since they were kids. And now Jesus says, excuse me, I'm giving you a new command. And you're like, what do you mean you're giving us a new command? We've known this command since we were kids. Not only that, you yourself, Jesus, in a previous conversation said, these are the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. You already know it's in the Old Testament. You quoted Leviticus 19 specifically. So, how can he call this command new? Well, once again, remember the context. Remember, the context is this same meal where, during the course of celebrating this annual festival, Jesus takes this cup and he says, What? This blood, this is the blood of the new covenant. I'm creating something new through my work. And you see, this love command is new. Even though they had grown up with it since the day they were born, it's new because it's now rooted in a new reality. This love command is new because it's now rooted in what Jesus describes as this new covenant, this new way of engaging God that's going to be made possible through my death on your behalf and in light of this new covenant, I'm going to empower and enable you to love one another in a new way. That's, that's Jesus' vision. That's Jesus' expectation for the kind of relationships that, that we are to have and experience in the life of a church community. It's interesting, obviously, one of, the, one of the guys who was there <laughs> experiencing this scene was John the Apostle. And centuries later, John would write these words in his first letter that you also have in the New Testament. He says, dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Now, just think about that for a moment. Here's this, here's this guy who's been, you know, he was with Jesus when Jesus talked about love and started casting this vision for community of, of followers of Christ. And now this is, I think it's decades later from that experience, as he's had time to grow and reflect. And he's saying this, he says, when we love one another, God lives in us. And, and think about this, his love is made complete in us. What does he mean by that? That when we love one another, God's love is made complete in us. Well, understand this clearly. I I don't think he's saying there's a deficit or deficiency in God's love. What he is saying is there's a direction and intentionality to God's love. What he is saying is, you know what? I've come to understand the reality that this, this love of God that I now rest in This love of God in which I now find my own identity, this love of God is to not simply be at work in me, but also through me. And the grace that I've experienced from God isn't simply to be at work in me, but also through me. Do you realize that? If you're a follower of Christ, God's love is never just for you in your life. God's grace is never just for you in your life. And see, I think this is, this is a place where we can sometimes get stuck. Because I could think just in very personal terms, you know, I want to live in God's grace. I want to experience God's love and, and I want to be obedient to him. And so I come week after week and I want, you know, I want church to be a place that helps me live in God's grace and experience his love. But it's all, I, I only think in my own personal terms and and if I lose sight of the fact that this grace at work in my life, this love at work in my life is is never just for me, it's intended to work through me into the lives of other people. If I don't get that, I'm not getting God's grace. If I don't get that, I'm I'm not getting God's love and I can find myself stuck. So so this is Christ's vision. It's, It's a vision to be for one another. And over the next few weeks, we're going to take time to unpack what that looks like. We're going to take time in very intentional places in the New Testament to see what it looks like to be for one another. But as we get started, there is one thing we need to acknowledge, and we just got to be right up front with this. And that is simply this truth. Um... To be for un- one another is going to entail a cost. I mean, I think about this scene in the life of Jesus, right, where he, he takes this robe, this robe that in so many ways represents the status quo and conventional ways of living, and he takes the robe and he lays it down so that he can pick up a towel and a basin. And the fact that he lays his robe down will in some sense anticipate the fact that very shortly he will lay his life down. For Jesus to be for you and for me entailed a cost. And in a similar way, for, for us to be for one another, there, there, there can be cost involved. And we need to acknowledge that up front. If you're going to take seriously what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks, you've got to understand there could be a cost involved. And the truth is this, there are things we may need to lay down in order to love well. There are things we may need to lay down in order to love one another well. So just in in a couple of minutes, I I just want us to think through what what that may look like. And I just kind of want you to engage this question for the next few moments. What do I need to lay down to be for others? Right? Is Is there something you need to lay down in order to love others well. Let me, just, let me just give you a couple of examples and these are printed in your bulletin as well. So things we may need to lay down in order to love others well. Maybe I need to lay down my comfort. One of the things I realize in my own life is it, 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 it can be hard to be for others well if I always want to just keep conversations and interactions at a comfortable level. Right? And sometimes this is where we get stuck. Even in, when in relationships with people that we've known for a long time, we just I just want to keep things comfortable. And, you know, there can be a lack of transparency, a lack of vulnerability. We'll talk more about that in the course of this series. But if, if, if my driving desire is just being comfortable in relationships, it can be hard to be for you. And it can be hard for you to be for me. I think about a friend that that I've known for maybe 10 or 12 years now, and we try to talk on a regular basis. And one of the things I value about the relationship is just one of those relationships where you can just ask all kinds of questions. You know, like, have you ever gotten stuck here? Have you ever wrestled with this question? Do you ever really felt inadequate as a dad or a husband? You know, and we just kind of have those kinds of conversations. And, And the reason we're able to be for one another is we've gotten... We've gotten beyond a point where the conversation is is driven by a desire for comfort. So maybe you've got to be honest this morning and say, you know what? If God, if I'm gonna really be for others, what I need to lay down is my comfort. Maybe it's it's my time. Now I realize we're in different seasons of life, different stages of life, and time looks differently in different seasons, and and so kind of at times our ability to invest in relationships or or invest in others. It's going to vary in different seasons of life. We just need to recognize that. That shouldn't surprise us or shock us. But I also think if if we're not careful, we can lose the recognition that maybe I've got more time than I realize I have if I use it wisely to be for others. So maybe just how I use my time is something I need to be willing to put down. So that I can invest in other relations. Maybe it's my preferences. You know, I really just I just like to hang out with people that make me look good or or exactly like me. And maybe you found yourself at times being unwilling to invest in, in in conversations with people who are different for some reason. And maybe it's my preference that I need to put down. Maybe it's my agenda. Have you ever found yourself in a conversation with someone, and it felt like they were talking to you, but they weren't talking with you? Do you know what I mean by that? It's like somebody had a kind of an agenda. You know, they, there were certain things they wanted to tell me, but they they weren't fully present in the conversation. It's funny when I think about this. Interestingly enough, my mind goes back—at least like 25 years—but I just it goes back to this conversation. When I was a grad student, I was at a conference and I was talking to a guy who was more senior in his career and and I still just remember this, you know, I'm talking to him but it felt like all the time he's kind of looking past me to see who else is there. You ever been in a conversation like that? And, And finally, he caught the eye of someone who was obviously more important than I was and he quickly exited our conversation so he could talk to this other guy. I can do anything to help his career or further his... You know, academic journey, the other guy could. So, man, I just got left. Interestingly, I was, we were having some conversations as a staff this week about, uh, you know, what it takes to be for others. And in, in kind of a small group setting, as I was talking with different people, we told different stories, but, but a recurrent theme was this. I asked the question, how do you know somebody's really for you? And the recurrent theme was they listen. This is one that hits me sometimes. I realize I'm you know I can I can be so focused sometimes in certain relationships or conversations that man, I'm just not listening. And God, at times what I need to lay down is my agenda. Here are just a couple of other things I'll mention that kind of go together my stuff, <laughs> my likes, my needs. So this week, some drama in the Davis household. I mentioned our, old, our youngest son's just gone to college. A, a month ago, he ordered a laptop, computer, but there were production delays. As a result, it didn't arrive as it was supposed to before he left for college. This meant that we needed to redirect the shipping, so instead of being shipped to our home address, it would be shipped to his college address. So early this week, I had multiple conversations with the manufacturer and with the shipper when the, when the computer was finally ready to ship. As it turned out, I wasn't able to redirect the shipping. The manufacturer blamed the shipper, the shipper blamed the manufacturer, and around and around we went. Some of you've had conversations like that, very frustrating, and so, in the middle of the week, Rose and I were just trying to figure out, okay, what's plan B? How do we get it, how do we get there, how do we get this computer to Texas as quickly as possible, and so we're working on that, and and you know, in the course of that conversation, I realized, this is really starting to bother me, You know, this, I just, this is very frustrating, and I don't like the fact my son's starting his college career without a computer, and, you know, this isn't the way it's supposed to go, and uh, the way I had it planned, and, and I think it, I actually looked at my wife, and kind of, and as we were talking, I got so frustrated, he was like, I just need to go to bed, right, you know, very mature, but that's what I needed, so, you know, and, but here's what that reminded me of. The truth is, we came up with plane B at work, he got his computer yesterday, we're good, But here's what I had to come to grips with. And I don't know if this is, this may not be an issue for you, but I'll just, so this is one of my things. I had to come to grips with, if I'm not careful, there are little things in my life that can become big things. Right? And when I allow little things to become big things, they become all-consuming. And the truth is, when I allow little things to become big things, I, I don't have time to really be with you. When I allow little things to become big things, I'm not really listening when I'm talking to you. Now, hear me clearly. Some of us really do have some big stuff in our lives. Big stuff that's going to take a lot of our time and attention and emotional energy. Big stuff where we need the the support and encouragement of other people. I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm talking about the little stuff. This did not need to be a big deal. And I was on the verge of allowing it to become so consuming that it just blocked out everything else during my week. And the truth is, if if I let the little stuff become big stuff, that can't be for you. That can't be for other people. So sometimes, you know, I just have to catch myself and say, you know, this. I just need to put this down. God, I've turned this back over to you, and I'm not picking it up. I just, you know, I'm not going to allow the worry or concern or uncertainty just to just totally consume my emotional and spiritual bandwidth. And I have to do this intentionally because, you know what? There's always little stuff. My guess is there is little stuff in your life right now that if you allow it, it can become all-consuming. There is little stuff in your life right now that if you allow it, it can completely block out the possibility that you can be fully present for other people. So my question for you is this. Is there something you need to lay down in order that you can be for others? As I said over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk more about what that looks like. But even now, is there some, you know, is something on this list that you would say, oh, I get stuck here. I'm going to invite our band back up and they're going to lead us as we continue this morning. But as, as they do that, I just, I'm going to just give you a little time. Just to, just to come before God and say, okay, God, is there something I need to lay down in order to love well? And I would just invite you to be willing to say, okay, God, I want to be part of Jesus' vision for relationships. I want to be part of Jesus' vision for community. I want to be part of what we're talking about as a church when we talk about being for one another. And so, God, if, if I'm going to do that, is there anything that I need to lay down? We're going to give you just a little bit of time to reflect. You may want to write on that bulletin, but as I give you some time to reflect on that, let me, let me just pray for you, okay? Gracious God, this morning we've taken time just to hear Jesus' vision that we would be a place, a community that loves one another and does that well. Father, I confess that I'm sure most of us at some time, have had, we've seen places where church didn't do that well. And yet I pray that those past experiences wouldn't cloud the vision of what Jesus is calling us to. But Father, as we seek to talk about this and embrace it, I also pray you'd make us aware of, of the things we may need to lay down in order to pursue what Jesus is inviting us to be a part of.